Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Racing with Ryan podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Stevens, and I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I know it's been, oh man, this is the longest gap between shows since we started this thing back up. So um, hope everybody's been doing great and had some great time with your family. And uh, hopefully you guys have had plans to get back to the racetrack or maybe you're going to a snowball derby this weekend or going somewhere, but hope you're finding something to do during the quote unquote off season here. Um, of course, uh, got last week's show out early because of the Thanksgiving holiday and then uh, had a great Thanksgiving with the family and had a very, very busy weekend of racing. So I want to use this episode to kind of recap um, the Billy Bigley Memorial. Went down to Punigora at uh, 417 Speedway for that event this weekend. And uh, also kicked things off Friday on Black Friday by going to the Orlando Speed World and announcing the Crasherama event, which was just a lot of fun. I mean, it's kind of fun as an announcer to, to go to an event and not have to take it as seriously as some of these other events. Um, you know, didn't know who everybody was. I knew quite a bit of them, but didn't know who everybody was. Didn't know what was going on all the time. Didn't even know what was next sometimes. Just went out there, had fun. Um, just went out there to entertain. So uh, that was a fun way to kick off the weekend. And then, of course, um, made the long trek down to 417 Speedway, which actually wasn't as bad as I remember. The drive this time was not as bad as the first time, but uh, definitely made for a busy weekend. And uh, we will be covering, uh, mostly be talking about the Billy Bigley Memorial here on this one. Um, I'll give you some of my thoughts on the Snowball Derby. I know it's the, the event is kind of, um, I guess, halfway over at this point uh, as we record now, but... Uh, of course, the big show, the, the thing everybody cares about is Sunday, and hopefully I'll be able to catch that one way or another. Not going to be there, um, but uh, anyways, getting ahead of myself, um, I want to go ahead and get right into it. And I do apologize, um, no interviews or anything on this show. I just want to give my honest thoughts and opinions. I'm going to be brutally honest about the event um, at 417 Southern Speedway. I'm going to give you exactly what I liked about it and some things that maybe could be changed to, to make the event, uh, to give it a little more something, something. And and I'll tell you why I I feel that way here in a little bit. So I'm going to dive right on in to the review of this year's Billy Bigley Memorial down at 417 Speedway. Um, first and foremost, uh, Robert Howell was on the show last week to talk up the event. I want to give Robert and uh, Jen Brinson and everybody at Sunshine State Racing a huge shout out um, they worked their butts off on this event, promoting it, uh, talking to drivers, um, trying to get a list together, and um, they did a fantastic job, and I, and I feel like they deserve to reap some of this success, because it was a very, you know, if I were to just want to come out in here and do a five-minute show, I could just say the event was a huge success, and I could end the podcast there. The event was a huge success, and I want to give them a lot of credit for all the hard work that they did um, to make that event. It's the first one I've been to, but I I feel like that's probably the best one of these events they've ever had. And um, those guys worked their butts off, and they've been working on it for months. So congratulations to uh, to Robert and Jennifer, um, to everybody at 417, everybody at Sunshine State Racing, everybody that helped with this event. Um, Because I'm going to be real, real honest here. If you're going to run an event with just one class and you're going to sell out a racetrack, you've done something right. And that's exactly what they did. They sold out the place. I mean, we got there early uh, knowing there was going to be a lot of people there. And the parking lot was already jam-packed by the time we rolled up there around 4 o'clock. So, um, I mean, the vibe, the atmosphere, it it was electric. Um, The place was sold out. It was full of race cars. Uh, They had close to 40. Now, I know that they had talked to a few people uh, that said they were going to come. There, there's a few that didn't show up, and I caution everybody when I do stuff for for New Smyrna. I'm like, hey, here's the entry list. You might get some drivers that don't show up. Well, they they had that situation at uh, 417 this week, and there was a number of drivers that were mentioned or rumored to be coming that ultimately didn't make it. It's a it's a tough day. You got snowball derby happening now, and um, you know plans change, things happen. Uh, a number of drivers. Uh, had issues in practice um, and, and didn't make it. I think they had close to 40 cars show up. I think 35, it was 34, 35 took time in qualifying. So all in all, 
Uh, the car count was there. They started 28 cars. So you had a full field regardless of how many showed up, to be honest with you. Um, so that right there, I mean, they knocked it out of the park with the car count. They knocked it out of the park with selling out the venue. Um, the, the place was jam-packed, and everybody w- was talking about the race, especially towards the end when all the cautions started to fly. Everybody was chatting in the grandstands and having a good time. So um, the long and short of this, it, it was a successful event. And I don't I don't have the ins and outs of, you know, how much they profited in, in, in all this, but um, I, I really didn't see much negative feedback. There were a few negative things, and I will touch on those, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts and ideas on maybe what could be done if those events kind of have the same kind of format next year. Um, but just all in all, a, a great event. And I'm really glad, you know, I, I wrestled with, oh, it's a it's Thanksgiving weekend. I got to work crash around the night before. Am I really going to make the three and a half hour trek down there? Come all the way back at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night and drive hours back home. And I'm really, really glad I did. So um, I'm, I'm a tough person to please. And I really enjoyed being at the event. I'm really glad I was there, and I was there just to be a race fan. Um, of course, it's great content to have for the podcast, even though this is coming out almost a week later, um, and I do apologize for that. It's been a busy week uh, getting back to work um, after the holiday season. It usually takes me a few days to get caught up, so I just haven't had the time uh, to do it until right now. Um, but yeah, it was just fun to go as a spectator, as a fan, and I'm reviewing this as a spectator or a fan. Um, I don't know every single little thing that went on behind the scenes in this event. So, you know, don't, p- please don't take anything that I have to say here, even if it sounds negative, as uh, being directed negatively. It's more constructive criticism because there's a few things that I saw um, that I didn't like, and there's a lot that I did like. Um, first of all, uh, my, my big thing was going into the event, I'm like, man, this is a one-division show. We're literally going, it's going to be late models only. And I, I expected five or six more cars to be there. And um, I'm not disappointed with the car count at all. I mean, 35, 36 cars taking time and qualifying is fantastic. I mean, Governor's Cup only had 23, so they put a lap around uh, New Smyrna's big event with car count alone. So... Um, you know, I was thinking, oh, it, it, it'll be fine. There's, there's going to be like 50 late models. I, I mean, go back and listen to last week's episode where um, where, where I was talking to Robert. I said, man, the, the LCQs and on-qualifier races, they're going to be the show. Well, I was kind of wrong there. Um, with only being 35 cars, they qualified, man, I think the top 20 qualified in or locked in after qualifying, and then they had a couple last chance races. And that's where a lot of the drama kind of began. Um, the the first race ha- had a moment in it that was talked about heavily on Twitter and Facebook and amongst the crowd there at 417 Speedway. Um, unfortunately, I believe it was Harrison Halder. Um, yes, Harrison Halder was battling for the final spot with uh, the 94 of Keith Roggin, I believe. And a little bit of contact was... No, I'm sorry, it was Corey Crisofoli battling with Halder for the final spot and um, coming to the white flag in turn number one, there was some contact and Chris Foley got moved up the racetrack just a little bit. It wasn't a dump. It was a bump. It was for sure a bump. And then the the two kind of drag race down the back straight away. They're making more contact. And it appears that uh, Harrison Halder grabs the final spot and races his way into the field. And all of a sudden, the announcer of the PA that Halder was DQ'd for rough driving when, in my opinion, it was good old fashioned short track racing. I mean, this is a last chance race, a uh, ton of money on the line. It's go or go home. It's a thousand dollars to start the race or it's essentially nothing. It's, Hey, thanks for coming. Yeah. There's a non-qualifiers race, but you know, if you don't win that, you, you're basically going home with, you know, not even being able to pay for your tires, your fuel, your time, this and that. So it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way that you see just a, a great short track racing move. It got the fans on their feet, got the fans pumped up, and the guy was DQ'd for racing. 
I mean, if this is, you know, don't touch anybody. We're at a, you know, three-eighths mile track. Super late models, they all run relatively the same times. I mean, the really, really bad ones are off the pace, but everybody else is pretty close together, especially in a, a LCQ. Everybody's around the same pace here. It's it's hard to pass without making a little bit of contact. And, you know, if Halder had gone in there and spun Christofoli out or just didn't even make the corner, I could see calling that. But a little bit of classic short track bump and run. I remember um, talking to Steven, who was with me. He's like, man, that just gave me a bad bad taste and we just barely got going here um so that was definitely disappointing if i was race director i would not have made that call for sure would not have made that call but um it basically it didn't benefit Corey crucifoli he didn't get in keith Rogan is the driver that got in because of it so the call was made to dq halder it benefits somebody else that wasn't even involved in the altercation so in my opinion bad call um Ricky Brooks was a race director. I have a ton of respect for Ricky. Um, he helped me. Uh, he, he's helped me a lot in my career. Um, he's the one that uh, got me in at Auburndale Speedway to fill in, and I've been, you know, in a fill-in role there for the last couple of seasons now. Um, and, and Ricky's always had he's always had my back on things. So this is not a trash Ricky Brooks uh, episode of this podcast, but I disagree with the call that he made, especially regarding the um, the disqualification. Of, of Halder, who then went to the non-qualifiers race, and I, I think he salvaged something for his night, but it just wasn't, it wasn't a good call. It, it's not what short track racing uh, is all about. Um, you know, if you want to see people not make contact, go watch F1. You know what I mean? Nobody touches anybody there. Unless it's like at the start of the race when they all pile up, but that that call kind of put the, uh, put a sour note in everybody's mouth, and I was talking to some of the people around me in the grandstands, and they couldn't figure it out. They're like, "Why? What? Did, what did he do? I've seen that millions of times." And and you know, they all kind of said the same thing. If Halder had spun out Crisofoli, like just dumped the guy, then you take it away. But I don't know. That was just silly. But if you if you go back and and look at calls Ricky has made in in the past, go back to last year's uh, Snowflake, Stephen Assey, Bubba Pollard, they made some contact coming off t- turn number four. Stephen Assey did not turn Bubba Pollard. He got into him and Bubba overcorrected and slid up the track a little bit. And man, it looked like a, you know, short track race and move off turn number four for the win and one of the biggest pro late races of the year. And they took it away from Steven Nassie. So if, uh, like I said, this is not a bash Ricky Brooks podcast. So if anything, his calls are consistent and, and we'll get more into that because there were some other calls made throughout the night, but man, I, I, I didn't like that one. Definitely did not like that call. And, uh, the, uh, the LCQs, that, that was the drama in the LCQs in the last qualifiers race. With, with the car count, you know, not being maybe as high as predicted, um, maybe that took away a little bit of the drama. But, you know, you got people trying to race their way, and there's going to be drama one way or another, whether it's a call, whether it's beating and banging, whether it's a dump and run. Uh, we knew there was going to be drama, and, and there was, but maybe not as much as, as we could have expected uh, or, or as we predicted earlier in the week. But... Um, Nonetheless, we got through the uh, the LCQs, and then really the only time of the night where I thought having at least one support division would be good, it was between the second last chance qualifier and the non-qualifiers race. There was about a 15, 20-minute gap in there when there was nothing going on, and I, I don't know why. Like, there wasn't even music or anything. It was just, like, dead air. Like, the announcer said, oh, you know, the uh, uh, non-qualifiers race is next, and then we all sat there and sat there and sat there, and... There wasn't anything going on. I mean, just one support class with even eight or ten cars to fill that little bit of gap when, you know, and I get it. There, was, there needed to be time for those drivers in LCQ number two to get ready for the non-qualifiers race. I mean, these cars, they need a minute to cool down. I, I completely understand the time needed, but it would have been nice to, you know, throw some mini stocks or some pure stocks or something, uh, something relatively cheap um, in there just to fill that time, even if it was an exhibition race, you know, for, you know, winner take all. Because I get it. You're talking a big payout here. 28 cars started the event, 1,000 to start, um, you know, 20 grand to win. You guys can do the math. That, that's a lot of money. I, I understand why it's not a, you know, a, a weekend with eight divisions racing. I, I get that. But maybe one support class with like a 
you know, even a winner-take-all format, exhibition format, you know, an extra 500000 bucks payout, get it sponsored, throw something else in there just to fill that little bit of time. That was the only time of the night where I felt like, man, I really wish there was another class here just to fill that void. Because that was one of my my nitpicks on the night. But um, after uh, after all the qualifying was done, um, I was really excited for the feature. I got to go down on the track, got to chat with a bunch of drivers. Um, you know, a bunch of drivers that just ran um, Governor's Cup. Anthony Sergi was down there, Michael Hine. I talked to Adam Briggs for a while, uh, Jesse Dutilly, um, who was my pick to win this event. Uh, after a tough Governor's Cup, he didn't even make it through practice. Um, I, I really thought he was going to rebound him and win the race. So um, it, it was nice to go down there and, and see these cars up close. And this being Rich Bickle's second to last race, that was pretty cool to witness. So there's a lot of a lot of great things. Even though that that call in the LCQ kind of rode me the wrong way, still very excited for the feature. And I kept telling Steven, I'm like, man, I know that call was kind of kind of bogus, but I think this feature is going to make it all worth it. And um, I'll tell you right now, the the feature w- was phenomenal and. It was going according to plan for a long time. Uh, the the initial start, things got a little weird. Uh, Keith Rogan, who got in to the race on that that call when they when they DQ'd Halder, uh, Rogan got the got the beneficiary there and qualified in the event. His car shut down on the pace laps coming to green, and I don't know if the flagman didn't see it or if if race control didn't see it, but his car was off the pace. And then here come the leaders down the back straightaway. They all scatter. A couple of them went spinning, and it actually. Um, that's what did damage to Ty Majeski's car. It ruined the lower control arm on him. And on the next restart, I think Ty made it two or three laps. And then the, excuse me, the fast qualifier of the night was done. He finished 23rd after, I think he made three or four laps. So Ty Majeski, everyone's, you know, maybe perennial favorite to win the race. He was out before he could even blink an eye. Uh, Dylan Bigley was also a victim of this stack up on the first lap. He, uh, I believe, even got into the wall on the back straightaway, and he didn't last very long. So you had some big players, Ty Majeski, Wayne Anderson, Dylan Bigley, all finishing at the back of this um, due to uh, a bit of a dust-up there when Roggins' car didn't get going and the yellow was kind of late to be thrown. Um, There's a couple instances on the night where the yellow flag either came out way too soon or way too late, but, I mean, that's the nature of of a live event. Um, You know, there's only so many eyes on the racetrack that have a say in what goes on on the racetrack. So easy to miss, especially back of the field, first lap, uh, somebody's off the pace. It's easy to overlook that. So I'll, I'll give that a pass, uh, but it did, it did mix things up. It, it really turned the race on its head early on with Majeski, Bigley, some of these other guys being out, but when things settled down, um, it was par for the course. Um, Jesse Dutilly got out to a big lead and then, George Gorham and Steve Dorer had a battle. And Steve Dorer, man, he was all over the place in this race. He was, to, to my surprise, up near the front. And yeah, he's a good racer, so I don't mean it like that. But I, I could tell after qualifying, after what I saw, he didn't have the fastest car, but he got a good draw, had a good starting position. Um, checking the stats here, he started he started on pole, and he was able to hold on to a top position for a long time. He and George Gorham battled for a long time. When George got clear of Steve Dorer, that's how I knew Dora's car wasn't quite as good as the top two because Gorham was able to pull away and reel in Jesse Dutilly, who had pulled away. And then Dora was just hanging on, man. I, I mean, I, I don't think he was lower than, like, fourth all night long until the end. But he uh, he was holding people off and holding them up, and Jesse Dutilly and George Gorham were running away with this thing. We finally got that caution that everybody knew was coming. And then another questionable thing happened. Uh, the field was bunched up. And Michael Goddard in the 37 was having a great run. And he made a move to the outside of George Gorham coming off turn number four. In this race, it kind of looked like the racing at New Smyrna. If you were able to get a run to the outside of somebody, you could make a pass because you get the momentum built up. The guy on the inside would get choked up on the bottom, couldn't quite get the throttle down, couldn't quite get the momentum, maybe not quite as severe as New Smyrna because the straightaways aren't so long. But... Michael Goddard made a hell of a move, and this was late in the race. I, I can't remember. I think it was about 35, 40 laps to go. And uh, Goddard made a move to the outside of George Gorham for position. And I don't know if Gorham's spotter cleared him or Gorham just didn't know that Goddard was there. But George came up and, and caused a stack up. And they put both drivers in the back. And later, 
we find out that Michael Goddard was DQ'd for contact made under caution. Uh, it, Michael Goddard didn't do anything wrong here. I, I had a great view of it. I was watching the battle, and the contact happened right in front of me. Gorham came up the track. Goddard was flat against the wall, couldn't go any higher. If he went any higher, he was going to hit the wall. And Gorham came up and hit him. Gorham goes around, collects a bunch of cars. They put both guys in the back. And Michael Goddard, frustrated, and I didn't see this contact. I learned about it afterwards, but... What I don't understand about Michael Goddard's DQ, I understand calling the DQ if you hit somebody under caution. I get that and I can support that. But he finished the race and then was DQ'd. That doesn't make any sense to me. If you're going to call the disqualification because you hit somebody under caution, either get them off the track before you restart the race or let it go. You can't let the guy finish and then DQ him because he made contact 40, 50 laps ago. That's that's crap. That's garbage. That just that that's a waste of of equipment for Michael Goddard at that point. So, um, as much as I like George Gorham, as much much as I like Michael Goddard, um, thought that was another really really bad call. I don't know if race control just missed it and, and just said, "Yeah, you both of you guys were involved, both to the back." I mean, that makes sense. But from what I saw and I was watching the battle, I mean, that was the battle at the time because things had settled down pretty much at that point. It just it, it took both drivers more or less out of contention. George Gorham did rally back to finish fourth. Goddard, of course, DQ'd, but it took them out of position to be in contention for the win late. Um, another big thing that happened, Jesse Dutilly, who was dominating at this point, his car broke. Uh, he he broke and he didn't finish. He wound up 14th in the standings. I mean, this race, just like Governor's Cup, a ton of attrition. I mean, you had Jeske Anderson, Bigley, um, Daniel Webster, Corey Crisofoli. They all didn't finish this race. So, um, again, car count was great, but not many people were able to survive this thing. So, um, at, at this point you, you could feel the intensity wrapping up another, in my opinion, bad call made on Michael Goddard kind of screwed his night. Um, but it's fun to watch George Gorham battle up through the field. Um, at, at this point you're thinking, well, Jesse Dutilly's got this. Well, that was not the case when Dutilly went out, when, uh, Goddard and Gorham got together actually put the race back in the hands of old Steve Dorer. And I'm thinking, man, I, I didn't exactly have Steve Dorer on my radar to win this thing. But um, given that he qualified in the top eight, you had to think, well, he's got a good piece tonight. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I was sitting there rooting for Steve Dorer, but I wouldn't have been disappointed leaving there knowing Steve Dorer uh, won the race. But ultimately, that's not what happened. Um, Dorer... Ended up getting into a crazy battle with Nick Neary. The final 10 laps of this race were edge of your seat. Neary's chasing him down. Neary's all over him. And uh, with two to go, it's go time, right? I mean, you got a lot of money on the line to win this this really hyped up Billy Bigley Memorial race. Coming off a of two as we're, we're at two to go. So we're coming to the white flag. Coming off turn number two, Nick Neary does get into the back of the tent of Steve Doerr. Uh, he lets off of him. Door is able to correct the car. Now he gets way down to the bottom of the racetrack and he does not make turn three. Um, probably could have, he probably could have let off the gas himself, caught the car and continued on, but he just didn't make the corner and boom, contact is made. Neary and Dora go around and it was pretty much what everybody thought was going to happen in this race. We just didn't know what the last caution was going to be, but we knew there was going to be a green white checkered. It just had that feel to it. Um, if you watch enough short track racing, it's short track racing road courses. It all comes down to green, white checkers anymore. It seems, and we were all just waiting for it and it, and it happened. And I think it's, I, in my opinion, it's good. It happened. It showed these two guys were racing hard for the win in a big event. Of course it happened. And I then learned, and here's another bad call. I learned that Nick Neary, when he made just the slightest bit of contact into Steve Dorr that had been running wide, he had that car, uh, a car and a half wide most of the race, uh, trying to, he, he was almost, instead of running his line, he was blocking like you would at a go-kart track to protect the inside. And, you know, hey, he's running his own race. That's, you know, whatever. But when you make the car wide, expect to get the bumper. And Neary got into him. But again, just like the LCQ, didn't wreck Steve Dorr. He let off to not wreck Steve Dorr. Um, Dorr then did not let off the throttle, did not have the angle going into turn three, took them both out. But then I hear that, at the moment of contact on the back straightaway, before anything happened in turn three, Ricky Brooks had already 
said, that's a penalty on the 17. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you just not allowed to make contact whatsoever? I mean, if that's the case, every driver in the field should have been DQ'd. Everybody made contact with somebody. It doesn't mean they moved them out of the way. It doesn't mean that they didn't gain a position here and there for making contact. Contact is, this is a contact sport, especially at a short track. It's just asinine to me that you've got two drivers going for the win, and the, the penalty was called on Nick Neary. I mean, it ultimately didn't matter because they spun each other out, and they would both be DQ'd. We'll get to that in a moment. But man, just in my opinion, another bad call. So with that said, we did have the green-white checker, and we have two completely new players at the front of this field. You have Michael Atwell in the 51, former Bubba Pollard car, against Rich Bickle, the man who's going to retire after the, the Snowball Derby in a couple of days. And at this point, I'm thinking, man, how cool. I mean, Michael Atwell, he's uh, he's a great kid. He races at New Smyrna every now and then, just always pleasant to talk to. And you got Rich Bickle running his last season. And I'm thinking, man, that'd be a cool story to leave here and say, wow, I got to see Rich Bickle win his second to last race. So either way, um, if one of those two drivers uh, had won it, I, w- I would have been happy. And I'm thinking, man, at this point, there's like 12 cars running. I mean, anybody's got a shot. If you're on the lead lap, you got a shot. Um, ultimately, you had a great battle between Michael Atwell and Rich Bickle. Bickle got a good jump on the initial green. He was actually leading halfway down the back straightaway, coming to the white flag. But then on the final lap, a little bit of contact. Uh, as the two are racing hard, Bickle ran out of room in the back and got the wall. Um, and, and then, if you listen to his interview, he wasn't happy with it. Instead, he got shoved into the wall. Well, if they had been, if they wanted to be consistent, I guess they could have DQ'd Michael Atwell for quote unquote making contact with Rich Bickle. I just saw good hard racing for the win on the final lap. Two drivers going for it, and the groove is only so wide. So yes, Rich Bickle bounced off the wall. Michael Atwell started in ninth spot. Another guy. I mean, he's a great racer. Um, I'm not surprised that he got the win, but didn't have him even in my top ten. So kind of an upset uh, on the night. Great to see uh, the, the win to go to a Florida driver. Uh, great to see Michael Atwell. Kind of a breakthrough win. He's got some wins down here at 417, but this is a huge event. This is definitely the biggest win for him. Um, so definitely love seeing that. And then um, Rich Bickle, in a chorus of boos, got out and kind of let Michael Atwell hear it. Wasn't happy with the result. Wasn't happy with the, with the way he was raced. But I'm telling you, man, big money on the line. Close quarters, two laps to go, ain't nobody lifting. And what I saw was an entertaining finish. Uh, whether, it, you know, you like Michael Atwell or you were rooting for somebody else, it was a great finish. It was a great race. There was a lot going on. Uh, a couple of bad calls. Uh, a couple of times the caution could have come out a little sooner. Um, but all in all, very exciting race. There, there was that long green flag run that lasted 40, 50 laps. That was, I don't even want to say it was a lull because you were just kind of waiting. You know, we got to click off the laps somehow. So, in my opinion, great race. Um, very entertaining. Didn't know who was going to win this thing. I mean, it looked like Dutelli had the best car. Then it looked like George Gorham had an equally good car. And then as the race played out, you know, those, it's not, it didn't come to fruition for either one of them. And Michael Atwell escapes with $25,000. There's like a $5,000 bonus to the top Florida driver. So Michael Atwell takes the big money plus the bonus and wins. And was very happy about it, um, rightfully so. I was happy for him, and I, I I left the grandstands that night with a smile on my face, knowing that I just watched a great event. So yes, there were some calls I disagreed with. Yes, there were some crashes. Yes, some people that I thought would have a good run didn't. But all in all, it was a great race. I, I give it a solid eight and a half out of ten, and, and I was very satisfied. One division, you know. Just super late, long trip to get there, and I left there happy. So, uh, well done, everybody at 417. Uh, well done to the Sunshine State Racing people for catching my interest and, and making me want to go down there for that. Um, a couple of things that I would do a little bit differently if we keep the same format next year to, to kind of keep the excitement up just a little bit, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But want to run down the top 10 for this year's Billy Bigley Senior Memorial at the 417 Speedway. Michael Atwell, of course, is the winner. Albert Francis in the 5W, one of the Waters cars. He comes home in the second spot. Anthony Sergi, a new Smyrna local, uh, he was third. Had a solid run, a quiet third place for Anthony Sergi. George Gorham, we mentioned him, kind of had that contact. 
uh, late in the going. Uh, he was able to rally for fourth. Jared Irvin, a quiet fifth-place finish. Dustin Dunn, he was involved in a couple of the scuffles early on in the race, but he battled back for sixth. Patrick Staropoli, seventh. Michael Hind in eighth. Adam Briggs, the old sportsman champ from New Smyrna in 2020, uh, he finished in ninth. And John Nutley, round out your top ten. Some other notables here. Jesse Dutilli did not finish. He was 14th. Uh, Boris Jerkovic, 15th. Uh, Daniel Webster, 18th. You had Dylan Bigley, unfortunately, had mechanical issues. After a great qualifying effort, he finished 21st. Uh, Wayne Anderson, 22nd. Ty Majewski, 23rd. And then we, um, we we talked about some of the DQs, and there was two other DQs that I didn't mention because I want to talk about this moment. Of course, we mentioned Steve Doerr and Nick Neary getting together uh, in the late stages of the race. On the green-white checker, Steve Doerr made an absolutely pathetic move. Coming off turn number two, he kind of burped the throttle down the front straightaway to get Neary in position. Neary was going around the outside, coming off turn number two, and Dora just throttled up and took them both out. Now, live, I did not see the wreck. Um, I heard it. I was watching the the battle for the lead. I was watching Michael Atwell come off turn number four, and I heard, like, almost a sonic boom. It was a huge hit, and I'm like, oh, my God, somebody hit something hard, and then I look over and see cars. Um, you know, they're you, you got them kind of T-boned, looking right at the back of somebody. I'm like, oh, man, big crash, big crash. I didn't realize right away it was Dora and Neary. And when I did, I looked at Steven, and I was like, holy shit, it's Steve Dora and Nick Neary. They got each other. My goodness. Um, and again, didn't didn't see it live, so I just knew, well, they paid each other back. And it wasn't until later that I saw the video, and it, it's clear. And, and Steve Dora doesn't shy away from the fact that it was clear. It was retaliation. It was a, uh, that's the kind of stuff I don't like. That's, that is disqualification worthy. The little bumps and runs for position in the LCQ, a little bump and nudge for the lead uh, late in the going. That's racing, man, but just flat wrecking somebody, destroying two race cars on the final lap because you're mad. I get it. You're pissed off. You just lost your shot at $20,000 to win. Yeah, you're pissed off, but man, you stored a lot of money on that race car, on two race cars. And uh, it was a chicken chip move, in my opinion, for Steve Dora. Lost a lot of respect. Um, Nick Neary, uh, I've always been indifferent towards Nick. I don't know him all that well, but um, he, he had a great drive tonight. Could have won the thing. Could have, should have, would have. And he leaves there with a wrecked race car. But Steve Doerr just, I mean, that's pathetic. It was just absolutely pathetic uh, to wreck a car like that. And, and it wasn't just, oh, he spun him out, he got his payback. He drove the man into the wall. And um, that's just uncalled for in my book. It's pathetic. It's uncalled for. It's bad. It's a real bad look for Steve Doerr, uh, who used to run the Wheelman series. So, um, yeah, don't like that. Glad that uh, he was DQ'd, and, and there was some extracurricular stuff. So um, uh, both drivers are given the disqualification. And, you know, consi- I mentioned consistency. Even though I don't agree with all the calls that Ricky made, he was consistent with most of the calls tonight. And he ended up with four DQs, and, you know, some of them were, well, five if you had Halder from the LCQ, I mean, you think about it, four DQs, that's four drivers not getting paid. That's $4,000 saved. So got to wonder if maybe that was the president's laid down, like, hey, you know, if drivers want to race stupid, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll strip it from them. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just snowballing there. But you did have four DQs. That's that's $4,000 in savings right there. That's, you know, that could be half of a regular season race night next year that the, the track saved on all these DQs because uh, Rich Bickle was also DQ'd out of second place in tech. So... As always with a short track race, there's more to it than, you know, what meets the eye. So definitely a wild, wild night. Didn't like the the extracurriculars there between um, between Steve Doerr and Nick Neary. Shame that had to happen. Kind of put a black eye on the end of what was a, a phenomenal race. And um, I'm sure both cars will be rebuilt and we'll see him again. But yeah, don't don't like the don't don't like the crash on the last lap like that. So can understand if it was the leaders uh, spinning each other out for the money, but it was two guys racing at the back of the pack who were pissed off at each other. That's just, that's dumb. Oh, man. So, yeah, what a night at 417. Congratulations again to Michael Atwell. Um, I wish I had more time this week. I was I was going to try to get in touch with him, maybe get an interview, uh, but, again, I, I'm recording this late as it is, so I apologize there, but hopefully we'll catch up with Michael somewhere here in the future and uh we can pick his brain on this uh this great win this great achievement for that team um so as i mentioned there's just a couple things that i thought could make this event better i'm okay 
and and I was kind of on the fence about the one division thing. And, and like I said, there was that one moment in between LCQs and the non qualifiers race where a filler division or support division would be useful. Um, if they keep this same format going forward, and I think they can, if they can continue to get, you know, 35 plus cars, they can keep this format. But what I would do, instead of time trials, I would make them draw and run heats. You run four heats, you take the top five drivers in each heat, and then you run a consolation race. Um, you know, you take, okay, so you got four heats, uh, take the top five to the feature. Then you take the next three that don't qualify into the consolation race. You qualify four out of the consolation race. And then you have one B main. Everybody else that's remaining, one B main. Give everybody the same shot to race their way in for the last, you know, make it three spots and do one provisional. Make that B main even more entertaining. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I really thought the non-qualifier race, the B mains, I thought they were, they'd be a little bit more exciting than they were. And they've, you know, the, the car count kind of dictated how many cars were in each race. And and I thought the, the non-qualifiers race, 50 laps was a little bit too long for six cars. It was, I've seen that before. I see that all the time. So, um, you know, it, again, they, they had a great plan for this event. Uh, we did lose a bunch of cars due to engine problems, um, due to various incidents, um, so it went from like, you know, there being a couple more cars tacked on each race to, to having a few less. Um, in, in my opinion, what I would do is instead of saying we're going to have two LCQs in a non-qualifiers race, it's going to be this long, wait to see how many cars actually make it, you know, after the heats or after qualifying and then determine, okay, we're going to have one B main and then we'll have a, a non-qualifiers race and kind of make the non, you know, put the money, make the money solid, whatever you're going to get, but kind of judge the laps on how many cars actually start. Because 50 laps for six cars, you know, there's a lot of money on the line. I, I get it. You got to run the race, but it, it, 25 laps and, and the outcome would have been exactly the same. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, four heats qualify the top five. There's your top 20. Have a consolation for the top three that didn't make it. Uh, qualify three, um, you know, let's see, qualify about three in, four in after that, so you're at 24. Then do the B main with everybody else that hasn't qualified yet. Take three there, do one provisional. You only need one provisional. If, if you can't make it in on a heat, on a consolation and a B main, and you need a provisional, eh, your night's already been pretty bad. So in, in my opinion, that's what I would do. The heats add a ton of excitement. Yeah, the qualifying was cool because it mattered so much to lock yourself into the feature, and it was nice to see two cars on the track and really get the focus on there. But man, heat races, and I I don't know, Florida racing just it ain't big on heats for late models. I get it, they're expensive, but it would have would just added that little bit of extra spice. And then kind of, I love the idea of the non-qualifiers race. Give those guys that towed down here a little something. I mean, that that poor number six car who didn't qualify, Eric White, I believe, his name is escaping me at this moment. But, uh, you know, he he broke and could have just gone home and had nothing, but he was able to come back out and win the non-qualifiers race. He would have mixed it up in the feature for sure, but it's a nice little consolation thing, but I love the idea of the qualifying heats, um, you know, second round to make it in, and then last chance, one B main, you know, you're going to have 10, 12 drivers fighting it out for the final spots. And then if you survive the B main, then you have a dash for cash. You even do that at the end of the night after the feature, so everybody's not leaving all at the same time. Um, those would be my suggestions if they're going to keep this, you know, late models only format, which I mean, this, this worked just like it was. I mean, the qualifying was kind of like snowball qualifying, you know, uh, you go or go home. Um, but from a fan's perspective and giving them a little bit extra to look at, and, and I'm not glorifying, Oh, we got to put these cars in more and more danger. You're, you guys already know how I feel about qualifying, but, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, how I feel about practice. We do it too much. We already lost too many cars on this event in practice anyway. Uh, Steven Nassie has won. Um, but yeah, you could have thrown some heats in instead of single car qualifying to spice it up just a little bit, considering there's only one division running. Um, that's what I would have done in, in my dream scenario. But again, not running the show. I'm not calling the shots. I'm just sitting in the grandstands, kind of snowballing my my thoughts. But again, um, just an excellent job. Uh, the Gentries should be proud. The Big Leagues should be proud. The folks at Sunshine State Racing, they should be proud. 
Uh, everybody who came out to support that event, uh, that, that's what racing is all about. That place was packed. It was a great crowd. Everybody was chattering during all the calls and like, what? You know, made, made some new friends that night. Like, I can't believe they would do that. And then people saying, oh, at my track, they don't do this. I've never seen that. And I see some people will be like, well, I see them do that all the time. So um, definitely a fun dynamic. G- great event. It, it was a ton of fun. I'm so glad that I went. And uh, again, congratulations to Michael Atwell. So shifting gears here, uh, coming up this weekend, of course, we have the Snowball Derby. Um, you know, I, I'm going to try to watch it or at least stay up with it on Sunday one way or another, but a little bit uh, salty about it because um, everybody from New Smyrna is up there and I'm not. Uh, so yeah, I'm a little bit salty. I'm not following it as closely as some. Um, I know at this point of recording Two nights are already in the books. Um, Derek Thorne's on the pole for the snowball. A couple of big things have already happened, which I want to touch on. But uh, next week, we will talk about what goes down on the snowball derby. And I have a feeling tech will come into play one way or another. So I'm sure there'll be some controversy to talk about. Also this weekend, I'm heading up to Auburndale to help out once again. So I want to thank the Auburndale Speedway uh, for inviting me out to announce their championship night, their final regular season night. So we'll talk a little bit about that on the next show as well. Uh, They have a Sportsman 50. Uh, Every time I've seen a Sportsman race at Auburndale, it's crazy. So there'll be a lot to talk about between Snowball and Auburndale and anything else that might pop up. Um, So you can look forward to that next week. Um, Going back to what I said about the Steve Dora, Michael Goddard uh, bull crap that went down on the final lap. Uh, Steve Dora just taking out Nick Neary. Uh, just didn't sit well with me. And then what I saw last night watching, and, and I wasn't watching live. I saw it uh, on Facebook like probably two minutes after it happened. I uh, had another case of retaliation gone wrong in the pro truck race at Five Flag Speedway. Uh, you see a couple drivers door each other coming off turn number four. And then uh, the driver in the 52 truck, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, I mean, he doesn't need to be a driver anymore after what I saw, but he just, he, cocked the, the steering wheel all the way to the left and just took out that poor 138 kid. Um, I've never seen a grip flip like that on a short track where it's like a weight shift thing when, when a car or a truck would turn to the right that quickly on, you know, Daytona Talladega or a super speedway in NASCAR would go flipping. Uh, that's what happened on a half mile short track with a pro truck of all things, which isn't the most powerful racing vehicle. Uh, plenty powerful, obviously, but uh, the 52 truck obviously didn't like the contact. He retaliated on the front straightaway and hooked the kid in the rear end, flipped his truck into the fencing. It broke the wall. It tore down the fence. It destroyed not just the the 138, but some of the other trucks that came into the wreck as well. And thank God uh, the truck didn't get more air than it did. It didn't go. It, it, the wall took most of the impact instead of the catch fencing. If if that truck had caught air and gone straight into the fence with the place being packed uh, for that event, probably would have killed somebody. Um, we're lucky the driver wasn't more injured than he was, but, man, it's just a case of retaliation, man. It's just not worth it. Like, I, I've seen drivers get upset, and I've seen drivers have every right to be upset, but, man, retaliating like that, uh, destroying equipment, uh, tearing down property, destroying the the racing uh, track, you know, the, the the fencing, the wall, potentially putting the fans that paid hard-earned money to come watch you race in danger. It's not worth it. In the moment, it's probably like, oh, I'm going to get this guy back. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do justice on this guy. But man, when you have a result like that, it's just not worth it. I, I hope whoever's in that 52 truck is feeling all the regret in the world right now. Uh, he should be lucky and, 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 thinking as lucky stars that it wasn't worse. But that was one of the scariest accidents I've seen on a short track in a long, long time. I, I was sitting on the couch watching the uh, football game last night. And Margo goes, oh, my God. And I could just – it wasn't just like, oh, she found a funny cat video on TikTok to show me. It was a, whoa, something happened here. And she showed me the video. And I kind of forgot the racing had begun at, at Five Flags. And she showed me the video. And my immediate reaction was just like, oh, my God. Like, it, it – and then, of course, I'm glued to, to Twitter, glued to Facebook, trying to get updates to make sure this kid's okay. And thankfully, he is. I mean, he's got a broken vertebrae in his back, which is never good. Back injuries are never good. But, man, I was glad to see everybody walk away from that. Glad to see the show continue. 
Um, hopefully, uh, I know there's going to be more to talk about on next week's show regarding Five Flags, but man, that was uh, that was bad. That, that was really bad. That the retaliation, the the dumb driving like that, really it it, it may you know. I guess people are going to listen to this and be like, well, listen, listen to yourself at the end of the episode. You're criticizing Ricky Brooks on his his calls about rough driving. Well, maybe this is why he sets that precedent because you see that crap and it's like, yeah, we don't need that. I I, I love the the beating and banging on the short tracks, but we don't need that that intentional wrecking stuff. So if Ricky draws a hard line, I would draw a little bit softer line, but hey, that, that's just me. Um, it appeared Casey Roderick did win, Roderick, uh, I should say, won the race, but he was DQ'd, and Gavin Graham, a driver that I've seen race Legends cars over to Auburndale, called his races plenty of times, ended up inheriting the truck win, so that was pretty cool, and then uh, just learned before starting the recording tonight that uh, Cody Strickler won the Modifieds of Mayhem race, the 75 lapper there on night number two, so that's kind of where we're at. Um, qualifying in the books, you got some LCQs in the Snowflake, on Saturday and then the snowball on Sunday. So we'll recap that. We'll talk about all the big stories um, on the next podcast. We'll cover Auburndale's championship event. Of course, they have the charity truck race, the uh, Cars Racing for a Dream charity race coming up uh, in two weeks, which I'm planning to be at as well. So um, my offseason has yet to begin, and it probably won't begin until after Red Eye. And that's where I'm going to end my final thoughts on the night. Um, if you listen to the Get Hype podcast last lap edition that I did, I talked a lot about uh, tradition with the Snowball Derby. And now I feel like, you know, right now there's, there's too much practice. There's too much this and that. And I was worried about the tires. And thank goodness everything has worked itself out. We got a lot of the big events in that I was worried about not being able to be run. Uh, so you can throw that out the window. But I had mentioned tradition and then I kind of got raked through the coals about you know, you can't mess with tradition. It's the snowball derby. It has to be this and it has to be this way and that way and this way. Um, what tradition is even left at New Smyrna right now? I mean, the Red Eye 100 is always the first Saturday of the new year, which this year happens to be the first. And what a new year celebration, the Red Eye 50-50, super late model, pro late model, and everything else racing. What a great way to kick off the new year. Everybody gets drunk on the you're technically the 31st going into the first. So yeah, you sleep off the hangover and then you go racing. What a better way to start the new year. But now you got to wait a week. So the tradition of red eye being the first Saturday is completely gone. It doesn't matter. Um, and I was told by, you know, somebody that makes decisions like this, that, you know, you can't mess with tradition yet. We've messed with every tradition in the book over the last three years. And red eye is now on the seventh and eighth. Um, the eighth is the race. Seventh is practice. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter what's what's the date. However, now we're up against some competition, whereas we wouldn't have had much competition on the first. And I don't know if this messes with some of the drivers that would come down to use this as a test for speed weeks. I don't know if that messes with their schedule. I'm sure it messes with some people's schedule. Maybe it'll be better. And I'm just running my mouth at this point. That all remains to be seen. But I've just seen so much tradition just kind of be tossed to the wayside lately. And by that same person who told me, you can't mess with tradition. So I don't get it, but I'm looking forward to starting off the new year a little bit later this year. It's still happening. That's that's the good news. The event is still happening. Uh, major repairs being done to the wall that should be complete. So this should be the first race on the track with the new repairs done to the wall. So that's, you know, that's all good news. Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Red Eye is always a fun event no matter what. Um, uh, the, the date is, the date's a date. You know, it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I just don't, uh, I don't like being told that, um, you know, I can't have opinions on certain traditions only to ha- see all the other traditions just be completely wiped away at the track I work at. So, um, those are just my thoughts. Those are my opinions. Can't wait for the red eye. Definitely excited for next year. Um, but just thought that was interesting. So, um, one last thing before I let you go here, um, want to thank you all for the views, for the views, listen to me. For, for the clicks, for the plays, for the listens on this thing, uh, the Governor's Cup edition that we did, the Governor's Cup analysis edition, was our um, most listened to podcast. Almost 7,000 plays on that podcast. Last week's was right around 5,000. Um, the, the last couple episodes have fluctuated between 4,000 and 6,000. So I didn't expect this kind of listenership. And, you know, 
I'm sure some of those clicks are people that just click on and, and click off or maybe go to an interview and, and kind of listen to that or click on it multiple times. I don't, I don't exactly know. I don't get that much data. Um, when I first started doing this, it was, you know, a couple hundred. And then when I brought the show back, it was five, 600. And then it kind of dipped and then it, it's just taken off. And, um, that's why I scrambled to get this episode done, uh, later in the week. And, uh, I, I can't thank you guys enough for listening. Um, again, there's sponsorship opportunities available. If you'd like to advertise your company here with the show, um, and $5 an episode, it, it's cheap. I'll do an ad for you. Um, you know, whatever, whatever you want. If you have an ad that you play on the radio or whatever, and you want to add it to the show, get with me. We can make it happen. I'm not doing this for ad revenue, but it, it, it helps. It helps kind of, um, alleviate the time that it takes to record, you know, an hour long episode takes about two hours to, um, you know, edit and get put up. So there's, there's a lot of time that goes into this. So anyway, um, before I let y'all go, I mentioned, uh, helping out Auburndale this weekend. They are looking for a full-time announcer over there for the 2022 season. They've got a great schedule. Uh, Rex and Colette are very good people. Um, it's a, a fun time over there. Um, if you are an entertainer or you like racing and it, you've always wanted to break into the business, maybe you've been a little bit too scared to take that jump. Think about, think about doing the announcing over to Auburndale. It's, uh, you, you get a little butterflies at first, but Hey, I, you know, I was one of the, the most shy people you'd ever meet before I started announcing and it broke me out of my shell. So, um, if you're interested, I'd, I'd love to get Auburndale a solid person that can, um, not only do the job well, but is reliable. So, if you like racing, if you like to talk about racing, if you like to entertain a crowd, if you like to be, you know, involved in racing and you're looking for your break, um, go check out their Facebook page and apply. Uh, they need a full-time announcer for 2022. Um, willing to help out over there anytime I can. If I could be two places at once, I, I'd be at both New Smyrna and Auburndale. Uh, if one of us raced on Friday and the other race Saturday, I'd do both. But um, New Smyrna is my home and... Uh, definitely trying to get somebody to uh, help them out at Auburndale. So if you're interested in that, check out their Facebook page for more information. Uh, I'd love to get somebody solid. I know they've had a lot of great people fill in this year after uh, Rick retired. I'm definitely thankful for all the opportunities Rick gave me as well. I know uh, Jake's filled in, Austin's filled in, I filled in. Um, but again, they need somebody full-time for next year. So think about it. It's it's a fun gig. If, if you like racing, you, you'll, you'll get more involved than you ever thought you could. So Again, uh, check them out. want to get them uh, somebody to help them out. And until next week, y'all have a great week. Enjoy the Snowball Derby. Enjoy, uh, you know, maybe the off season for you. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone.